Here we go. It's another big week in the NFL for the Dallas Cowboys. This is the Cowboys Wire podcast, powered by USA Today Sports. Now your host, Ryan O'Leary, and Cowboys Wire editor, K.D. Drummond. All right, Cowboys fans have been waiting a long time for a change in leadership. The Mike McCarthy era officially starts on Sunday night, but I know, Katie, you got takes on this. A lot of it looked like the same old Cowboys. What's your leadoff take on this game Sunday night, this 20-17 to loss for the Cowboys? Yeah, it was uh, a very disappointing first time out there for the Mike McCarthy era. And I have to say, there's a lot to be considered when you're dealing with the offseason that the Cowboys had. They made the change. There was a lot of hemming and hawing about keeping Jason Garrett basically on the hook until they hired Mike McCarthy. It was a very weird transition, but it should have been a smooth transition from that point forward. And then coronavirus happened. And the entire offseason for not just the Cowboys, but the entire NFL was basically put on his head. So Mike McCarthy wants to come in. He wants to implement his scheme. He wants to, ha- to have his coaches come in, work with the players. And none of that was possible. There was no OTAs, no rookie minicamp, no veteran minicamp. Training camp got truncated, no preseason games. And the NFL basically writes in their rule book to allow for new coaching staff to have extra time because they understand how difficult it is to implement a new system. Mm-hmm. So they actually have it written in the CBA that new coaching staffs have much more time to work with their team than returning coaches. The Cowboys couldn't take advantage of any of that. So a lot of the things that I said when I was talking about the season preview and expecting all these 40 burgers and possible 50 burgers, I always gave the caveat that if that didn't go right, if they really weren't able to implement it, we weren't going to see the Cowboys at their fullest strength early in the season. And that seems to be what happened. Um, The offense just did not look good. The defense was ill-prepared for what the Rams were going to do, and the Rams just kept doing it over and over again. It's kind of Sean McVay's thing. If he finds a weakness in your team, he just keeps exploiting it until you fix it. He did it a couple years ago when Jalen Smith was coming back, and uh, he just kept focusing on targeting Jalen Smith in coverage. And that's what he did. He just kept running the misdirections, kept running the sweeps and the screens and all of those sorts of things. And the Cowboys defense just did not look prepared. They figured it out by the time the game was over. And that gives us hope for what's going to happen next week. But what we saw in week one just was not indicative of what the Cowboys hoped to be for 2020. So it was a, a disappointing Sunday night loss, although it was one that if we removed some of our optimism, it was something that we probably should have and could have predicted. Yeah, maybe maybe we were all a little bit overly optimistic coming in, as you said, and there's a lot to yep. unpack in this game. There was you know, a, a really big moment early in the fourth quarter with the Cowboys driving. They go for it on fourth and three. I want to get into that. Uh, there's obviously a really bad call late in the game, which I don't agree with. I don't think you agreed with either. Uh, seeing you you on Twitter, <laughs> Katie, I think you had some, you have some opinions on that but but right off the bat and you're you're tremendous on twitter by the way um but by the way uh the cowboys just got crushed first of all they got crushed by aaron donald but we can talk about that too but they got crushed by these two major injuries uh that are going to have long-lasting effects right and the tight end blake jarwin the linebacker leighton van der esch tell me what you know i mean i know it seems like jarwin's lost for the season talk about these injuries and what they mean for the cowboys yeah it's it's tough jarwin is lost for the year he tore his acl non-contact injury it's one of those things you saw it as soon as uh well as soon as you saw him crumple to the ground and grab the back of his leg you knew that it would was going to be and they confirmed it so he's done for the year the cowboys have come out and said that immediately they're not going to look to add another tight end which i think is ludicrous because part of the problem and we can get into some of the other aspects of the game but part of the problem was that the guy that they had to replace him dalton schultz dropped a couple passes and ran routes that weren't 
basically deep enough, the big fourth down play that everybody has an issue with. The reason that CD Lamb wasn't across the line of scrimmage, wasn't wasn't across the yard marker, was because Dalton Schultz, the replacement for Blake Jarwin, ran his route too shallow, so he didn't clear. He didn't clear the space for the tight end to be able to get past for for the wide receiver to be able to get past the sticks, which is why CD Lamb was a half a yard short of the yard marker, and they didn't convert that fourth down. That was on Dalton Schultz. It wasn't on CD Lamb. He didn't have the space. So the Cowboys need to find a new tight end. Blake Bell was brought in as a free agent in the offseason. He is a blocking tight end. Dalton Schultz obviously has his problems. They have Sean McCune, uh, former Michigan tight end, that's on the active roster but was inactive for this game, but no experience there. So there's a couple of tight end options that are on the market the Cowboys need to consider, but right now they're saying that they're not going to do that. They're going to use the extra roster space to permanently promote Brandon Carr, the defensive back that they signed right before the season, former Cowboy, now that he's going to be playing safety. But yeah, that it, it's a big blow to lose uh, to lose Blake Jarwin. Uh, another blow is what you mentioned, Leighton Van Der Esch. Starting middle linebacker, was injured, played, I believe, nine games last season, uh, had a neck injury, ended up having neck surgery, had neck concerns coming out of college, and then he broke his collarbone like 20 plays into the game. So he's going to be gone for six to eight weeks, going injured reserve. The Cowboys are going to look to replace him on the roster in some form or fashion, probably probably by elevating Francis Bernard, a linebacker who showed very well in training camp, but they ended up uh, putting him on the practice squad instead of the 53-man roster. He's probably going to move up to have a solution there. The issue is Van Der Esch seems to be following in the tradition of Sean Lee, a highly drafted Cowboys linebacker that just cannot stay on the field. Sean Lee has cost the Cowboys $13 million over the course of his career in games that he missed because of injury. That's what the Cowboys have paid him for games that he never appeared. Leighton Van Der Esch is starting to be on that kind of that 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 slope. And it's scary because a lot of people were concerned that the injury was another neck injury, but that's twofold. Yes, great. It wasn't the neck injury being a re-injury because that's clearly something that if you re-injure your neck 20 plays into the season after you just had surgery on it, you start to need to consider early retirement. The flip side of that is this is an entirely different injury, which means that he's injury pro. It's not just a neck issue, a reoccurring issue. It's other parts of his body that are also breaking down. So they're going to try to poo-poo it and say that it's not, you know, Injury prone isn't the proper terminology to place on it, but it is what it is. So there's major concern there. They put they used a first round draft pick on them a couple years ago. They've invested in that position and they're going to need to invest again. So injury front wise, it was not the start that the Cowboys needed. They're already down. Sean Lee, Lyle Collins are both on the injury list. Uh, Lyle Collins is conditioning, so he'll be back in week four. They started a UDFA rookie, Terrence Steele, at right tackle instead of Cam Irving. The guy that they brought in to be the backup tackle, Cam Irving, is now relegated to special teams duty. And on the second special teams play, he sprains his MCL, and he's out for a month. So it's just a cascading amount of injuries for the Cowboys that are going to make this a little bit more difficult to get themselves right, considering what their performance looked like on Sunday night. Yeah, and you, and you called the Cowboys carnage on the uh, Cowboys wire, and I thought that was a good, that was a good way to play. It, Cowboys carnage, and that's that's not good. Yeah. <laughs> and 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 with all of this, they still had a great chance to win this ball game. Probably should have won this ball game. Uh, yes. And I do want to get into the fourth and three a little bit later. You know, let's talk about the pass interference call, the offensive PI, which it was a terrible call. Jalen Ramsey really sells it. You know, <laughs> he, he kind yeah, he threw his head back like he was in the NBA a little bit. I think he knew yeah. he, was, he knew he was beat, <laughs> and boy, he got the call. And I think the call's terrible. I didn't like it maybe Gallup could learn to be a little bit more subtle with his hands in that situation. I don't think he really pushed off, but when you extend that arm, it might look that way to the ref, but that's tough. 47-yard completion, wiped out. KD, I know you had some good commentary on this. What's your thought on that call and and what it means? Yeah, it was Basura. 
it was absolute basura. They need to throw that whole ref crew away. Uh, the back <laughs> judge that made the call, uh, the side judge that, that basically backed him up and Crunche, who had the audacity to go in front of a microphone at the end of the game and say that there was no question that was the right call. The reporter, Clarence Hill from Fort Worth Star-Telegram, even asked, he was like, even with all of that the defender was doing, it was clearly the right call? And he doubled down and he was like, yeah, definitely, it was clearly the right call. It's embarrassing. It was, it was, it was, it was Basura. If you watch the replay, Jalen Ramsey doing what veteran defensive backs do, Ashley had his arm folded up around Gallup's arm. Yep. And Gallup literally just kept running and extended his arm to try to break free of the grip that the defender had on him. And it was a complete bait and switch move. I, I have no problem with what Ramsey did. That's you're supposed to try to lobby for the call. If you get beat, you do what you have to in order not to be embarrassed. And it worked. But the fact that the referees who not only made that mistake, but as I mentioned on, uh, on my pod, Catch This Fade, that wasn't the only egregious thing that they did. Early in the game, when the Rams were just running rough shot over the Cowboys defense and the Cowboys had no idea what to do, they actually got to a third and short inside the 10-yard line. And the defensive... Uh, what's the best way to say it? They were just basically moving around. They were trying to confuse Jared Goff, and it worked. And the play clock ran out. And you ha- actually see the replay of Sean McVay running down the sideline, and he doesn't call timeout until a second after the play clock had expired. The rest threw the delay of game flag, called the penalty, and then rescinded the penalty. And it made absolutely no sense. So, of course, instead of being th- third and six, it's now third and one. The Rams get a conversion. They go in for the touchdown. They lead seven nothing. That was a completely different scenario than what they should have faced with. And who knows? Maybe the Rams, because they were doing so well, they convert that third and six. But the referee's insistence on changing the rules of the game as it goes along is it, it's unacceptable. And it's not just the Cowboys that suffer this. There are plays that they miss on both sides of the ball throughout the game, throughout every game. So I'm not saying that the refs are out to get the Cowboys, although if you look at the history of penalties across the league, the Cowboys are more penalized and their opponents are are the least penalized team in the NFL over like the last 15 years and it's by a wide margin but I'm still not saying that they're out to get the Cowboys they're just not good at what they do and they keep making impacts on games at crucial moments the idea that they throw that offensive pass interference call is ridiculous half of it has to do with Jalen Ramsey stature the other half has to do with Michael Gallup not being a household name yet I think if that was Amari Cooper on that route I don't think they throw that flag yeah so it's a respect level of the player that's involved in the, in the play that's possible but uh yeah it, it, it just can't happen they have to do something about this but we know they can't they they somebody mentioned to me oh we, we got to make a reviewable well they did they made pass interference reviewable last year and the rest refused to overturn any call in protest they right. basically protested the entire season and any time that a pass interference call with challenge they, they didn't do anything about it so it, it, there, there's really no recourse in in this situation so we know the cowboys lost 20 to 17 they did have a chance to kick a game tying field goal in the fourth quarter they decided to go for it on fourth and three katie and i are going to break that decision down coming up next on the cowboys wire podcast fantasy football is about proving that you are better than your friends Sit him, start him. These are the fantasy picks of the week. It will kill me if this game ends in a tie. I need this win. This game's pretty much done. With Corey Bonini from TheHuddle.com. Corey Bonini with TheHuddle.com here to talk to you about some fantasy football sleepers for week two. 
After a heartbreaking loss last week in which Phillip Rivers cost his team the win, he takes on a Minnesota Vikings defense that was completely destroyed by Aaron Rodgers in week number one. No team gave up more fantasy points to quarterbacks last weekend. Minnesota has an inexperienced group of cornerbacks, and a veteran like Phillip Rivers will find a way to get it done. It may not be completely pretty, but expect close to 300 yards and three touchdowns. Tampa Bay running back Ronald Jones has the best matchup in fantasy football entering week two. Carolina was gashed by Josh Jacobs for three touchdowns last week after being the worst fantasy run defense in 2019. Tom Brady needs help and it has to come on the ground. San Francisco signed wide receiver Mohamed Sanu this week, but it's Kendrick Bourne who's the better play at the New York Jets, a defense that gave up the second most catches and third most reception yards to wide receivers last week. Finally, Marquez Valdez-Scantling faces the Detroit Lions. He scored a touchdown last week from Aaron Rodgers and faces a Detroit defense that gave up a game-costing bomb of a touchdown to Anthony Miller late last week. Expect Aaron Rodgers to challenge downfield. For more fantasy news and analysis, check out thehuddle.com. Um, you know, obviously we're clearly in, in, in field goal range and um, it was a three-point game. So, you know, all those things are factored. The conservative play there is the is to, um, you know, is, is to kick the field goal. But I, I, I just felt really good about how we were moving the football. And, you know, it was a, it was a you know, a mesh pattern type concept. And, you know, with, the, with you know, crisscrossers and, uh, you know, you got to give them credit. They, they made it made a hell of a safety, made a hell of a play on the throw and catch and we were short. Now, KD, uh, the conservative play would have been to kick the field goal in fourth and three from, what, the 11-yard line early in the fourth quarter to tie the game. It might have also been the smart play. I don't know. What, what's your take on uh, the Cowboys going forward on fourth and three down 2017 early in the fourth? I'm actually 50-50. I'm good either way. If they if they had gone for the field goal, I would have been good. And if they went for it, which they did, I was good. It was more about the execution, as I explained earlier with Dalton Schultz yeah. and the fact that uh, CeeDee Lamb, on, on first view of the play, you just think CeeDee Lamb as a rookie failed to go past the yard marker. But as you break down the play and see the 22, uh, you can actually see how Dalton Schultz impeded him. But the decision to go for it was fine. If you go through the mathematics of everything, the decision to go for it on fourth down was absolutely the correct play. When you're talking about win probability and and those sorts of things converting the fourth down increases your win probability so much compared to basically it being neutral if you kick a field goal whether you make it or miss it so the smart play was to go for it i have no issue with that but one thing that doesn't get talked about and this cascades back to offseason decisions is the fact that greg zerline did not look very good he missed a 53 yarder earlier in the game the kicks that he did make up to that point were kind of shaky there was nothing that was straight down the middle. They were look, you know, one was looking like off, it was off course and then came back in. The other one barely snuck inside the goalpost. He did not inspire confidence in that game. So when you take into account the fact that they could kick the field goal and miss it, that kind of makes the decision even easier. Well, you might as well go for it because you're going to pin if you miss the field goal or if you, if you don't miss a conversion, you pin the other team deep into their territory they have to march further and even if they go and score a field goal you're still within one score of one touchdown in order to win the game so all of those things coming into play calculating the win probability and all that plus the fact that Zerline didn't inspire confidence which he had a bad bad year last year 
And they said it was because of a groin injury. The Cowboys hired John Fossil, the special teams coach, with for, formerly of the Rams, brought Zerline over with him. But they cut Kai Forbath. And if anybody remembers the Cowboys season in 2019, Brett Maher wrecked their season. He missed 10 kicks in 13 games, completely ruined their confidence in many scoring drives. And you saw the team deflate every time he missed a kick. And you're still not healed from Kai, that, PD. I know. I know. You're still, yeah, you're I, I, still I, I'm never going to get over it because I was, I'm, a, I'm a Dan Bailey apologist. <laughs> right. So the fact that they chose Maher a couple years ago instead of Dan Bailey and it's just been cascading my hatred for this guy ever since and man man did nothing to me personally but the Cowboys have made bad kicking decisions for a very long time getting rid of Dan Bailey to go for this guy just because he had a big leg even though he had a horrible track record as far as completion percentage was dumb and then they compounded it by not getting rid of the guy when he was costing them games last year but Kai Forbath came in and saved the day he went 10 for 10 on field goals 10 for 10 on extra points and they signed Kai Forbath first and then signed Greg Zerline after that and everybody said, oh, they're really serious about this kicking issue. They're going to have an off-season kicking competition. But then COVID happened, and they, the NFL forced teams to cut from 90 players to 80 for the training camp. So they cut Kai Forbath. Instead of having a kicking competition, they awarded it to Greg Zerline. Now, Zerline made the majority of the kicks in training camp. I think he only missed like 60 yards or something like that. He probably would have won the job anyway. But to not have a chance of seeing whether or not Forbath could repeat that magic at a cheaper price made no sense to me. And Greg Zerline missed the first kick that he tried in 2020. He was shaky on the other kicks. And then I I refuse to believe that his shakiness did not enter into the decision-making process of McCarthy to go for it on that fourth down. If they had made that kick, they're tied at 20 and they're kicking a field goal, no question. For fourth and three tied at 20, you're kicking a field goal to go ahead. Sure. So if he makes that kick, they're already making a different decision. Yep. But even without that, even without that, I think that if they had confidence that Zerline was going to nail that kick, I think that would have that could have influenced their decision, but that's not the scenario that they found themselves in. I don't know, Katie. I think from the eleven yard line, I might send you out. There. I might trot you out there to kick the game tying kick. But listen, <laughs> listen, listen. Before I hit the big four zero, I would have given myself a chance. But I'm pulling every ligament and muscle in the book. I'll probably pull something that I don't even have if I tried to kick a field goal that's, right that's now. The Bengals so kicker, it right? wouldn't be me. Yeah, we saw that the Bengals kicker like blew out his calf trying to go for that kick. Remember that? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> So here's so what I, I, I would be ten times worse. So here's what I really wanted to get your take on uh, the fourth and three. I'm with you. I I didn't have a huge problem with them going for it. I didn't love the third and six uh, run play with Zeke. I just like. It's third and six. You have Dak Prescott. Throw the football. It's third and six. Like, let's go. I, I didn't love the... It seemed like the third down call was almost setting up a go for it on fourth down. It seemed like that's what McCarthy was planning. But I didn't love the three-yard run by Zeke on third and six to set up fourth and three. I just... For me, it's like I'd like to see a little bit... Something more creative on third down there. Yeah, I agree. I, I did not like the run call there. I actually tweeted about that when it happened. I just wasn't a fan of the run call there. And, I, and I'm a Ezekiel Elliott apologist. I've written article after article about how he's different. I love the Cowboys centralizing I love their Zeke. offense around him. I think he is the only bell cow left in the NFL right now. Uh, he avoids injury. He comes every week. He does what he does his job. But that was not the right place to play him. That was not the right time to call his number. Agreed. And the question is whether it's Mike McCarthy or Kellen Moore, because remember, Kellen Moore was the offensive play caller last year. Mike McCarthy kept him when he was hired. He didn't have to. He chose to. He said Kellen Moore is still going to be the play caller. We know fourth down decisions are coaches decisions. So maybe there was some of that conversation where McCarthy said to Moore, we're going to go for it on fourth down, even if we don't convert. And that then made Kellen Moore or led Kellen Moore to call a run play saying that he had two downs to convert. But it was just a wrong decision. 
And Kellen Moore is still a young play caller. He, he hasn't even been a coach in the league that long. It's just a second year of play caller, third year of coaching in general. So there are going to be some some mistakes. That was just, I agree with you. That was more egregious than anything that you could put on the decision to uh, go for it on fourth down was the play call selection on third down. Coming up, we're going to look ahead to next week, Cowboys, Falcons. But first, here's some sports betting advice from our guys at the Sportsbook Wire. We'll be right back. <laughs> It's that time again for the line of the week. The inside track to the favorites, the underdogs, and the over-unders. I think I want my money back. Now, here are Jeff Clark and Eston McLaren from USA Today's Sportsbook Wire. Hello, I'm Eston McLaren of SportsbookWire.com and Bet Flippin' Podcast, joined by Jeffrey Clark of those same two affiliations. And here's what you need to know about the Week 2 Monday Night Football matchup between the New Orleans Saints and Las Vegas Raiders. The Saints are minus 228 Moneywine favorites. The Raiders are plus 190 home dogs. Saints laying minus five and a half points. Raiders plus five and a half. On the other side, Jeff, how do you feel about Saints-Raiders on Monday Night Football? I love Saints to spoil um, Raiders' Vegas debut and premiere. Um, I'm a little nervous about Michael Thomas being out, of course, but Jess Jacobs is not going to be able to produce on the ground and get into the end zone, hit pay dirt as much as he was against the weak Carolina Panthers defense. I like the Saints to actually be uh, key to victory due to their defense. Give me the Raiders. Saints without Michael Thomas, that's a big loss. I'll take the Raiders at home, plus five and a half. They'll keep that within a field goal. Check out Sportsbook Wire for more with all odds from BetMGM Sportsbook. Subscribe to Bet Slippin' Podcasts on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts. All right, Katie, confidence level in the Cowboys at home, favored by five against uh, the Falcons team, which I thought was oddly favored this past weekend against the Seahawks. Obviously, that didn't, that didn't work out too well for them. They were favored by a point, I think, in that game. But what's your take on Cowboys-Falcons this coming week? Yeah, they're, they're a tough team to get a, a beat on because we know the firepower that they have on offense. Matt Ryan is not even close to being over the hill yet. He's not as good as his MVP season. I think that was kind of a lightning in the bottle. But he's definitely capable of leading the team to victory and leading the team to the playoffs. Julio Jones is still one of the best receivers in the game, if not the best. I love Calvin Ridley and his come up. And you saw that this new guy, Gage, when everybody's focused on the other receivers, they had the type of performance that everybody expected the Cowboys receivers to have in week one. The difference is that Atlanta's defense is devoid of talent. They have a couple playmakers, but overall, they're a very questionable defense. Seattle's offense shouldn't. Uh, they're, they're obviously carrying over. They have the whole consistency thing from years past, but personnel-wise, they don't hold a candle to what Dallas does, and they were able to, uh, I think Russell Wilson was 31 of 35 against the Falcons. It was just it, He just cut through their entire defense all game long. Yeah, he killed them. Yeah, the, the Cowboys should be able to do that, but... That whole caveat, are they where they will be by the end of the season in week two? I think if you have the Cowboys come out and can't score 30 points against this Atlanta Falcons team at home in front of fans, because the Cowboys are going to have fans at AT&T Stadium. We don't know how many, but they will have fans there. If they can't have a better showing against Atlanta's defense than what they did against the Rams. And again, the Rams had all offseason 
to prepare for the Cowboys. So week one can always be an anomaly when you only have seven days to prepare for an opponent that changes things. But the Falcons had all offseason to prepare for the Seattle attack that they've seen over the last five years, and they had no answers for it. So I'll be very skeptical of Atlanta's defense stepping up. But if they do, I'd put that more on there being problems with the Dallas offense than Atlanta doing something to stop them. Uh, so yeah, all eyes will be glued. The Cowboys cannot drop to 0-2. I was just going to say, they already, there's urgency. Yeah, they, they, there's they urgency. Can't. They can't. Yep. Yeah, because Philly lost, the Giants lost, the Washington football team is in first place. We (laughs) can't have that. That's tremendous. The Washington football team in first place. (laughs) We can't have that. That's that's an atrocity to all of humanity. We can't have that uh, that organization in first place. So the Cowboys have to do something and do something quickly in order to recover uh, from their season opening loss. I predicted them to go 12-4. and I did not have them losing the game against the Rams. It was really weird. Right before the kickoff of the Rams game, the, the line moved heavily. The Cowboys were like favored by, you know, it was minus two for the Cowboys. And then it swung to plus 1.5, like in the couple hours before the kickoff. And it was really weird. You don't see those kind of things change when it comes to late action, unless there's an injury. So everybody was like, oh, did somebody test positive for COVID? Did Dak Prescott hurt himself in warmups or anything like that? That swung it. Sure. But it didn't seem to be the case. It just people just changed their minds. Someone must have uh, heavy six. action came in on yeah. the Rams. Yeah. Someone must have dropped six figures. Exactly. Had to have been. Had to have been. And <laughs> they, they were smart to do it because that's what happened. I'm not going to say that they knew what the refs were going to do i would never say anything like that <laughs> kd my man yeah, yeah, I, I don't know man i don't know i i, I read between the lines there yeah there's, there's some questionable stuff going on uh but we'll see that like you said they can't they can't go to zero and two got to beat the falcons this weekend i'm we'll, we'll look forward to seeing that hey man thanks for joining me uh, enjoy the games next week, man. I always appreciate your takes. It's always a pleasure, my man. Anytime. Thanks for joining us on the uh, Cowboys Wire podcast. This USA Today sports podcast has been presented by USA Today's Sports Media Group and is available in your favorite podcast store. Make sure to subscribe for weekly updates, the latest fantasy picks from Corey Bonini, and the Huddle Podcast, Inside the Weekly Line, with Sportsbook Wire's Jeff Clark and Eston McLaren, and the Bet Slippin' Podcast. We'll see you again next week.